I know there's no trolley to to identify. Was it, it was a little uh, above ground monorail. It was a monorail. It was, but tell me, if you will, what town were we in? I have no clue. And people have asked me. I have no idea where we were. Do you remember? No. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. How art thou? Are thou greatest? Are thou greatest that thou has ever been? He says kind of lisping, but not meaning to. Life is grand here, that's for sure. I mean, I can't even, where do we start? It is 2020, baby. It is 2020. Can you believe this happened? We are in an entirely new decade, the year 2020. What do you think? The year Volvo promises a fatality-free car. There's a lot of pressure going on right there. I mean, there's some stuff happening. This is amazing. And what a better person for an early podcast in the year 2020 to have the conversation with than our buddy, Bob Edwards, the hop coach, the human and organizational performance coach, but mostly a dear friend who's been on this journey with me for, I don't even, I should have asked him how long. I bet we've been working together side by side. Oh, I bet you almost, I wonder if it's even, I bet it's almost 10 years. It's been a while, that's for sure. And and I always like to talk to Bob because Bob pulses the world differently than I pulse the world. He thinks about things differently. He's an engineer, for sure. And so he's got the whole engineer thing going on. But he also thinks about the work we're doing, all of us are doing, differently because he's so focused on the voice of the worker and, and really capturing that industrial empathy and really listening carefully. And he is probably the world's expert at worker engagement. He doesn't know it. I mean, don't tell him. Let's keep that secret because uh, he won't listen to this. I'll bet you 10 bucks, Bob Edwards, and I'm down. I'm good for it, too. 10 bucks, you won't listen to this podcast. Want to know how I can say that to you guys? Because I don't think I would listen to a podcast of me either. So I think if you had to skip one in lieu of time or just sure boredom, you would skip the one that has your name in it. Because why would you want to listen to yourself? That would be creepy at a bunch of levels. I mean, creepy, creepy at a bunch of, like, like wearing someone else's underwear. Creepy, creepy. You know what I mean? So I think we're safe. I'll bet you I win 10 bucks. But how will I know? Because Bob will never hear the podcast. So then I'll never know that I'm victorious and I won the podcast. Well, we can talk about it later. But I love capturing Bob and asking him kind of where he's thinking. What's going on? where he is on the journey, what's interesting to him, what he's seeing. And I try to get him to tell stories because the stories are always the best part of the entire podcast. And I think um, between us, I mean, that storytelling push is really super valuable for a bunch of reasons. Adults learn by telling stories or listening to stories, participating in stories for sure. But also I think storytelling really force functions us to actually think about the context, because the story is not in the ending. The story is in the context. And the context, in fact, is where all the interesting stuff lives. So that should be interesting. I mean, it should be a good part. It'll be fine. You're going to enjoy this. I'll just cut to the chase. This is enjoyable. Uh, we're passing a microphone around because uh, that's clearly all I had. I've got to get better at this, you guys. I'm hideous. I'm terrible. 
So the audio is a little jumpy, but that's all right. You'll live through it. It's not a long podcast, but it's a valuable podcast. Can I make that promise to you? Other than that, let's get back together and talk. I've got so much stuff to tell you about the new year. I will get into that as we progress through. But for now, let's jump in and listen to what Bob Edwards, force majeure, force of the world, has to say about what he's thinking about human performance, safety too, safety differently, um, how he's thinking about managing safety in a new way based upon his view which is incredibly applied and worker-centric. So without any further ado, welcome your old buddy, Bob. You'll love it. It's a great conversation. Here we go. Bob, here we go. Take it away. So what are you thinking now? You've just come back from a lot of international travel. What are you seeing with uh, hop activity international? Do you notice any difference? It's, so it's really interesting. One particular sort of things, thing, a thing that we've been working on is this whole idea of are we starting work when, are we ready when we actually start the work, right, rather than relying on stop work. And so different industries are doing it different ways. And uh, sometimes if we're not careful, that that start when ready kind of a process can in, turn into another permit. And then all of a sudden we're waiting on signatures and we're killing half a day and we're, right, we're, wait, we're waiting forever to get all the permitting in place. When the, start, when the start when ready, as we've talked about it, is I'm – for example, when I fly helicopters, I'm getting ready to take off. Gauges are in the green, area's clear, I'm on the controls. It's still that last thing I do before I take off, right? That's only three steps. Right, three steps. Gauges are in the green, area's clear, I look around, I'm on the controls, and then we go. And so that something simple and like, like that is, I think, the intent, but if we're not careful, it can become a whole new, another whole permit, if you will. But we understand why it drifts towards permitting, right? Or why it drifts towards becoming longer and longer. It drifts towards becoming longer and longer because everybody sees this opportunity as a chance to say, well, for God's sakes, don't forget about this or don't forget about that. Or we have to, by liability reasons, put this in. Or we're on the hook for compliance reasons to put that in. Are you saying, uh, let me rephrase this, are you saying that we've taken the beautiful elegance of stop when certain and or, uh, yes, start. God, it's been a long day. Start when certain, and trashed it up with administrative crap. Those are strong words. Trashed it up with administrative crap. Which part is stronger, trash or crap? Well, I think they're all correct. <laughs> well, you can make a pretty good case that trash is crap, but okay. Yeah. So I think uh, you know I, I think it's probably pretty typical in this, any situation. We take something that we we certainly meant well with it. Unintended consequences may be that. We, like you said, we thought, okay, well, we better add this in. Don't forget, well, add this in as well. We don't, then pretty soon it's a permit. Well, we already did a permit. We need permits. Permits are, I mean, we, I'm a maintenance guy. We use them, but I don't need another permit. So, but I think it's a course correction thing. I don't think it's bad. I think it's, the, I think the good news is, is that in developing worlds and in very developed worlds, they're seeing the same thing and they're saying, okay, let's take a moment here. Let's recalibrate what are we trying to do with this last minute check things out before i jump out of the airplane for example so so let me take this one step because i think this is way this is an interesting point you bring up so should we be simplifying the amount of administrative burden workers have in the field before they start a job i mean should this so maybe a question i'd ask is when's the last time we took something away as a pre-start 
as opposed to when's the last time we put something in. You may be actually onto something here. Maybe that's something we can just actually focus on and 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 simplify. Well, the, so the the I think it's easy to add more things to whatever, right? If we have if we have procedures or checklists or whatever, we just keep adding. I used to see that where I worked. We every time something would happen, we'd add it to the JSA, and the JSA just gets longer and longer. And so to be able to stop and say, wait a minute, what what are the really important things, it, both from a permitting point of view and from a, I'm getting ready to jump out of the airplane. So, so in the world of skydiving, there's a lot of things that have to be inspected and checked and well-manufactured. And But before I jump out of the airplane, I'm not verifying that each one of those strands can handle, you know, 1,200 pounds of shock load. I mean, it's the design of the parachute and the parachute cords or whatever it is. I don't know how rating is. But I do have some things I do want to check, right? Is my parachute on? Is the is the pilot ball right there where I can get a hold of it? The pilot chute ball right there? Is it is it... Do I have my altimeter or my goggles? A handful of things. I'm at in the area that's the, the, the jump, drop zone area. So a handful of things that I check, but I'm not, that last minute check is not to verify that the design of the parachute is meets the standard. Okay. Yes, sir? Totally. But now you got me thinking because our, is the essential checklist, is that pre-start essential checklist, that vital checklist, the sticky checklist, the, the essential is that just one more thing we're dumping on, guys? I think it can be if we're not careful. I don't think we meant for it to be, and I don't think we mean for it to be. But if I have to have, like, if you don't really trust me to do this last-minute check, so I have to sign it that I did it, but then I also have to have my supervisor sign it that I did it, and then I have to have a manager sign it that I did it, then all of a sudden it's really not a last-minute check. It sounds a lot more like a permit. Oh, it is. It's definitely permission to do work. Sidney Decker was telling me one day in a, cab or something, I don't know, we were going someplace, that they used to have... You were in the back of a police car going to jail, were you? Maybe, because it is uh, me and Sidney Decker. They used to have like 16 essential steps to fly a 767, and they they took it down to three essential steps. And so I think that notion that we can remove that burden from permitting away from the start work is really an important I mean, maybe we can put that more into planning before it actually touches the workers. But I wonder if if one of the experiments we ought to run is is actually decluttering, removing pre-start criteria that has no value to survivability. Right, or something that was already covered during the permitting process, and I don't really have a method to even check it out here. So decluttering, I think, is a great idea. And I think the way, of course, you know how I would do it, right? Operationally learn from the masters of the work. I would ask them, what do you already check? What is the last thing you check before you go into motion with whatever this work is? But we've put so much crap out on the guys in the field. My guess is we've done it for two reasons, maybe three. One is liability. We're managing liability all the way around, company liability, um, OSHA kind of liability, regulatory liability. The second reason is I think we've moved stuff out of the offices and into the field so that they're doing a lot of administrative work that we once would have probably done someplace else, and that was probably a cost savings. And thirdly, I think we've reduced our organization sizes to where people whose job it is to sort of fill out pre-job briefings don't exist anymore. So we've given that to the supervisor, who in turn has probably given that to the workforce. I wonder if that's a place where we could pay attention. That's a really good question, actually. 
I, I know this, being a maintenance manager and an, and an ex-maintenance, I'm not an ex-maintenance guy, I'm a maintenance guy. I love working on stuff, but I don't know what my guys know today. I do know this, and I've probably said this before, there's never been a maintenance person that I've ever met that said, I can't wait to do more paperwork. I mean, like, could you give me some more paperwork to do? Because that's why I come to work to, but they really love working on stuff and fixing stuff and repairing things. And, and so I think, I think if we were able to work collaboratively and declutter this and try to make it meaningful, because we already know this, that ASAs in a lot of places have just become, you just kind of go through them, sign them, everybody signs it, put it in the truck. But the real conversation is, you know, we're going on the Patterson's property today and he's growing weed out there, so somebody needs to go talk to him so he doesn't shoot us, right? I mean, so that, that's the meaningful conversation. All that stuff we picked the box and signed off on, we all have our boots on, our steel-toed boots, we all have our hard hat, all that stuff, it just seems to get very little attention, kind of check it off, throw it in the truck. But the real meaningful conversation is, what are we about to walk into? I don't know that I even documented the fact that we're going to Patterson's property and he grows weed. But uh, <laughs> Which makes Mr. Patterson awfully hip. That's all. Yeah. But, I, but I would say in the same breath that our, I think our belief system is, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I think our belief system is, is that, that that pre-job, that JSA, facilitates that conversation. You're actually saying the JSA, as it gets more and more complex, does not facilitate that conversation. It actually happens... Um, probably taking the oxygen in the space where that conversation would happen, we're, we're fretting it away on an administrative control that really has almost no power at all and probably not. I mean, I was just thinking when you said that, you've never heard a maintenance guy say, I want more paperwork. I can't imagine a scenario, and people in the audience, maybe they can tell us because you guys listen to the podcast. I can't imagine a scenario where the JSA actually functioned in a way that prevented a serious accident. I mean, that's a really bold thing I just said. I feel scary saying it. Yeah, it's a really bold thing, and I completely agree with you. I've been, I mean, how many have you set through, or how many have you even written or done, or I, I don't even know countless of these things, right, that I look back at those afterwards and go, thank goodness we did that, because that made it really, I just say, oh, we had to do it because it was required. But an essentials checklist, that's what, that's what allows you to not forget your sleeping bag when you go camping, right? Because if you, so if you camp a lot, right, I have a little list I made years ago that I always just kind of keep as my final check. And all it is is the, it's the stuff I can't live without, right? Um, that actually probably does solve problems. You value that. And, oh, by the way, did you notice there's two cranes over there moving at the same time? Check it out. Those two big cranes over there. Pretty awesome. We don't have the little monorail, but we got two big cranes moving right one over top of the other. No Ooh. Is that cool? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to get distracted. Right, so that, it's yeah. a shiny thing, Bob, it, it and is. shiny things are your enemy. They are, especially if they're moving and lifting heavy things. So I, I do the same thing when I go to family camp with the kids. I have an essential checklist because I don't want to forget the hammock. I don't want to forget the water ski, the wakeboard, right? those key things because it's two and a half hour drive. But that's a list that I value. Why do I value it? Because it's meaningful. It, that yeah. it matters, right? It, it, I don't have a checklist for every single thing that I have to do before I head out to camp. Well, because anything that's not important or meaningful doesn't go in the checklist. You don't really, I mean, who cares about the stuff that's not important or meaningful? Or shutting the door on the car. We just do that. I don't need a checklist for shut the door on the car. So the skill of craft stuff, the shutting the door on the car, we can pull that off. 
The problem is when it fails, then we go back and put it on retrospectively because we're like, whatever you do, don't forget to shut the door before you take off, even though that's super rare and unusual. So what's the solution for this? I mean, what, what would you recommend we do? I mean, I think it's, it is very much just taking those small steps. You know, we've talked about you and I, well, matter of fact, when we were there at the monorail place, we talked about the sort of Netflix approach to take small steps, right? So I would say if you're in an organization where you feel like the administrative burden is just getting out of control, look for a, a, someone that's willing to try something different and say, hey, can we start? Just start. Don't have to. I, I'm always nervous to do a big, massive change at once. And um, so make a small change. Take a take a set of JSAs around some kind of work or whatever and, and see if we can clean it up working collaboratively with the people, collaboratively with the people that do the work and experiment with it, tri-storm, micro-experiment. And, then, and then, then take a look at it, back up and take a look at it and say, okay, is, is that more helpful? Is that more meaningful? Because I'm not hearing that maintenance guys are saying, for example, maintenance, I'll never do a piece of paperwork. I just think we've overdone it to a place that it's not that helpful anymore. No, I think that's a good point. I think I, I don't think people are responding to paperwork in in total. In fact, I think people understand that that some operations need formality of paperwork. I think we've just drifted the paperwork to a point where it's so long, it's no longer meaningful. So maybe a good question you'd ask is, go out and look at your pre-job requirements and ask this question, do they actually add value to resilience and reliability? Do they make a difference? Does it actually cover the things that matter? And the only way you're going to find the things that matter is talk to the people who do the work. Yeah, that's the only way that's going to happen. For sure, right? Because they, they'll tell you. They can tell you right up, right off the bat. If, once again, like we're always talking about the building a safe place to talk, if we make it safe for them to tell us the truth, then we have to listen to them. We have to. What, what I can't stand is when we hear something and then we have somebody else over there that wasn't a part of the conversation say, well, no, it's not like that. Well, no, it is like that because we just asked the guys that have to use it. So at least let's listen to them. And if they say this is not helpful, then let's try something different. Because making them do something that's not actually helpful, not helpful. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that was the most brilliant thing you've ever said. Let me just see if I can capture that. Making people do things that are not helpful is not helpful. Yeah, that should be on a – you, you should put that on rock. But I think you can quote that. I don't know if I can type it. It's very complex. It is very complex. What do you think the future holds? What do you got planned? What are you interested in now? Well, what I'm interested in is some of these systems that are becoming really, really robust that we think are really amazing, and then we don't actually even know anymore how maybe how brittle or how fragile we are because we're not – I don't feel like I'm in a learning mode. I rented a car this week, and I was pretty tired. Granted, I was pretty tired. I get in. It's one of those push-button ones, so it has a key fob. So I get out of the car at my hotel. I thought I pushed the engine button. I turned the lights off. Nothing was dinging at me. Nothing was making any noise. I lock the door as I get out, walk into the hotel, go to sleep. It's like 2 in the morning. Typical day for me, right? And the next morning, I come out at 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning, getting ready to head over to the site I was working with, and I'm like, uh, oh, my goodness, my, my car's running. I left it running all night. It gave me no <laughs> right? So it's a system that I, I completely think that a system would alarm me or shut itself off. But here it is, a, a brand-new vehicle. And, and I'm like, this can't be possible. I got in, yep, the engine's warm. It'd been running, used up a quarter of a tank of gas. Sorry to everybody who's worried about carbon footprint. I overdid mine that day. And um, 
but nothing ever warned me, nothing ever let me know. I would not have anticipated that an engine could sit there with the doors locked and just keep running for five hours or whatever it was. And so, so how many systems are out there that we now are becoming quite reliant on that maybe aren't as reliable as we think? So how will we identify those? What weak signals would you look for? Well, it's like, I don't know. How would I even know? How would I have even anticipated that, that this could have happened? Because I thought everything, we talk about this all the time. How do you feel when you're wrong before you know you're wrong? Exactly like you're right. I totally thought I had shut this thing down. I locked the door. It totally locked the doors. So I did a little experiment the next day. I left the lights on and the engine running, and I opened the door. Ding, ding, ding. It's big, right? So I'm like, this is interesting. I turned the lights off. No response. Engine's running very quietly, by the way. These new vehicles, very quietly. I get out. I shut the door. I lock it. I walk away from it. Nothing beeps. Nothing alarms. So it's, how would I have known? I don't know how I would have known that. Events beyond safety basis, events beyond our ability to imagine they'll fail. I think this is going to be a big part of our conversation as we sort of move farther and farther into um, technological solutions. It's going to be interesting because I think the failure paths are going to change and lots of systems will fail open and lots of systems will fail closed, right? I mean, they'll fail either way. So for me, it's it's intriguing. It's interesting. I don't have any clue how we do it, but I... I'm excited that we're at least aware that this is probably coming at us because systems aren't getting simpler. They're getting more and more complex and more technology. And so I think um, I think just kind of being aware of it and starting to have these conversations, we'll start a dinner, just like with everything else. With, you know, we just, it's this whole thing is emerging as we're doing it. So I think this will be a kind of a new area as, as technology doesn't always solve our problems. So when we ask, we're in Houston, and this is the – podcast of two cranes the podcast of two cranes in houston looking out the window sort of semi-cloudy day we know exactly where we are we're in houston texas still not 100 percent sure where we were with the monorail but i think they're on to something i think it's jacksonville thank you bob yep podcast i don't know how you keep these going the sweet tones of Bob Edwards, the dulcet tones of our buddy Bob Edwards. It's so much fun to get to talk to him. It's even more fun to just be his friend. If you get a chance, um, jump on it. He is really a charming, he's the nicest guy, just wouldn't hurt a fly, not a fly. I mean, he's just a, the nicest guy ever. Uh, among a list of nicest guys. I'm sure there are nicer people, but he's re- he's in the top, you know, 1%. So there you go. That's that's saying something. And that is uh, a great overview of what's happening in the world of safety in which we're all a part of. I love, 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 love how they're thinking about shifting the calculus from the psychic power of stopping before something fails to the actually quite practical application of starting when you're ready. Really taking the conversation from traditional safety, which is the worker's the problem and so workers need to be safer, to a much more resilience engineering, kind of skipping Hallnagle, skipping Decker and going right to Woods to a kind of a resilience engineering discussion. What I like about what Bob's saying is that to me, the charm of this is, in fact, the, 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 the practice of it. He's out there actually doing it 
with human beings on the street in La Calle, right? He's doing it on the street and making it happen. And that is pretty darn exciting. So I think it's as good as any for, you know, a beginning decade podcast. That's a lot of pressure, beginning decade, but that's where we are in this journey. And so that's why we're having this conversation to talk about the beginning decade stuff. So there we go. More details to follow as we progress through. I'm sure there'll be new adventures this year. The year I'm trying to really take it easy. Let's see if it works. I don't think it's going to work, but I'm trying it my best. I've got my feet up even as we speak. So that's a plus. Um, Mostly, though, I want to thank you for being a part of the podcast. Subscribe. Definitely tell your friends. That makes a huge difference. Keep listening. The numbers are stunning me. It's, uh, It's amazing how popular you guys are how other industries listen to what you have to say it's a it's kind of an awesome responsibility so don't shirk it take it seriously baby so until then my friends learn something new every single day have as much fun as you possibly can and for goodness sakes you guys be safe (laughs) 